you. Wow, good morning. So good to see you all. I, well, I'm excited to be here. And, you know, people keep asking me about Texas. I can tell you that few people wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats. So I'm beginning to fit in. I'm liking the Cowboys a little bit more, the Dallas Cowboys. So but I'm enjoying Texas. And I'm excited to, to share a word today with you on marriage. You know, this is an exciting week because today I'm going to talk about marriage. On Saturday is our marriage conference, and then Pastor Jared will be back, and he will be talking about family next weekend. And I, I don't know if, if you realize that principles about marriage are for everyone, and I know today that I'll be talking to the married among us, but if you're single... Some of the biblical principles that I'll be sharing today will apply to you. And I think there will be some wonderful things that you'll pull out of it. My wife, Kimberly, is not here with me today. But before uh, the service this morning, she sent a wonderful prayer. And I can't ever remember doing this uh, on a weekend uh, as I've been traveling. But her prayer was so powerful that I just want to pray it over you today. She said, I'm agreeing with you in prayer right now for the marriages and families of higher vision. May God use the word to change hearts. I pray for miracles today to take place in marriages. May God restore what has been stolen. I pray the word would penetrate the heart deeply. And I pray that you will preach with love and power, and that as my man you will share the words of wisdom as the Holy Spirit directs, in the name of Jesus, amen. So I'm just I'm going to ask you to agree with her in this prayer today that this week, as we approach the marriage conference, will be a week of restoration, because Wherever you are in your marriage relationship, I can tell you that God is there to walk alongside of you and has some incredible things that he wants to do in you and through you. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. This is our text verse today, and we're just going to do a Bible study with this verse. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. In this one verse, we have some incredible keys. In fact, I've titled the message today, The Key to Not Getting Locked Out. Have you ever been locked out before? Locked out of your car, your house, your laptop. I have to tell this quick story. When we moved to Texas, uh, my daughter Grace, who was 14 going on 18, uh, she wanted a puppy so badly, and so she convinced us to get a new puppy. We acquiesced, we bought a little mini Australian Shepherd, and progressed into the stage of potty training. We moved into our new home, and what was interesting, our, our back door has a deadbolt lock, and then it has a door lock, but you can 
walk out the door, and if you don't unlock the doorknob, you'll get locked out. So for the first couple of weeks we were at that new house, we would unlock the deadbolt, walk outside, forget to unlock the doorknob, and we would get locked out. So here it's the middle of the night, and Grace decides she's going to do her wonderful thing of taking the dog out. He was crying, yelping. She walks out. You're already ahead of me. Out into the backyard, closes the door behind her, and she gets locked out in the middle of the night when it's 40-some degrees outside. We're upstairs sleeping with the fan on. She's pounding on the door. She's yelling. We never hear her. And so in the morning at 6, 6.30 when we get up, we go downstairs and here she is out on the lounge chair wrapped up in towels holding her new little puppy in her arms. Kimberly and I felt devastated. She's crying. She comes up and she's crying. And, and we just we felt so bad about that. And, and it made such an impression on us. Of course, we went out. We've got some spare keys hidden out in the backyard now. So this will never happen again. But it was that idea of getting locked out. And I was thinking about it and realized, you know, sometimes in marriage we can experience a similar circumstance where we take a wrong turn and we feel like we're looking through the door and what was warm, what was lasting is now cold and frigid. We're locked out emotionally, we're locked out mentally, we're locked out spiritually and we're struggling. And I want to just share a couple of keys with you, spare keys if you will. In fact, one key is for you husbands, and we're going to just dive right in because that verse says, Husband, so love your wife. If you have your notes, I want you to follow along your, your source for Scripture. But isn't it interesting that the verbiage here, Husband, so love your wife, is the same verbiage that we read in John 3.16 when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, God didn't just love us. He took his love to another dimension. He so loved us. And husband, I want to encourage you today because it seems like even though we would think that loving our wife is easy, for some reason the scripture constantly says, husband, love your wife. Husband, love your wife. Husband, love your wife. As if it's not quite as easy as we may think. I can tell you the exact spot and exact time that Cupid hit me in the backside. When I love my wife, I was right up the road in Taft, California. Cupid came along. I knew she's mine. This is the girl I'm going to marry. I talked to my mom and dad, and they said, you know what, son, if that's the case, we'll, we'll start praying with you about it. But here's the problem. You're teaching in Joplin, Missouri, and she lives in California. So six weeks later, I'm driving to Joplin, California, and I'm complaining the whole way. God, I don't understand this. I want to marry this girl. Every mile I travel, I'm traveling away from her. 
and I'm complaining the whole time. Pull up on the campus of Messenger College, walk into the registration hall, and guess who's sitting at the registration table in her pink capris? My girl. And so there were, you know, I think all of us have those stories of, you know, when love is conceived, it's birthed, we, we, we know husbands that, you know, that's my girl, I, I love her, and yet the scripture tells us to so love our wives as if it, it's difficult, and here's why. The book of all books doesn't just give us the mandate, but it kind of gives us a little bit of secret stash to help us understand why it's hard. So ought husbands to love their own wives as their own bodies. And we're just backing up a few verses here in Ephesians 5. Think about that. Husbands, love, husband, love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates or hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So as a sub-idea here, when I'm answering the question or asking the question even, okay, how do I so love my wife? The Word of God tells me I am to love her like I love my own body. An aha moment. Because men, we are selfish buggers. And sometimes it's difficult to love our wives, it's difficult for me to love my wife as I love myself because I have my agendas, my schedules, my hobbies, all of these things going on around me. And now the Bible tells me I'm to love her like I love my own body. Interesting. If you don't think it's difficult, think about the last time Husbands, that your wife asked you to do something outside of your wheelhouse. Did you do it? Or did you do what you wanted to do? There's something that Kimberly ever so often asked me to do, not in my wheelhouse. Ever so often she asked me to go get a manicure. I had to ask some interesting questions of myself. Am I a real man? Am I secure enough in my identity that I can go with her to get a manicure? So I started going, and I can tell you there were some awkward moments. <laughs> Especially when the attendant asked me, do you want nail polish? But I was understanding the idea. Listen, that I'm to nourish and cherish her like I would nourish and cherish myself. Here's the distinction between nourishing and cherishing. Nourishing has to do with taking care of the inside. Cherishing has to do with taking care of the outside. So when I nourish my own body, I'm feeding it. I'm taking care of what's on the inside, physically or physiologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I don't feed it what I don't like. I don't feed it Brussels sprouts or liver and onions. I mean, I feed it some good stuff. I, teriyaki chicken and chili verde and iced caramel macchiatos. I'm 
taking care of it on the inside. And listen, don't leave it up to Dr. Phil. You have a responsibility to nourish your wife on the inside. To nourish her, take care of her spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And if you're not concerned about caring for her on the inside, guess what? You're going to get locked out. Nourish her, cherish her on the outside. Pamper her. I mean, when I take care of my own body, I bathe it, I wash it, I put nice clothes on it, I put cologne on it, all of those things. It's, it's the same when we're cherishing our wives. We are taking care of her. Now, I want you to see how important this is because the Scripture gives us an example of this. If we back up to verse 26, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So now we see a great example as uh, Pastor Sean was talking about earlier in communion that now we have the picture of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. And we're introduced to a new picture. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, for her that he might sanctify or complete. And the parentheses are mine because I just I want you to understand the deeper meaning. Complete and cleanse, purify her with the washing of the water by the word. Highlight that, underline that. That is key, the washing of the water by the word. Because oftentimes the word, word, will be in the Greek, logos, which is the written word. But here the word is rhema, which is the spoken word. So here what it says, with the washing of the water by the spoken word. In other words, husband, your wife values when you speak words to her that nourish and cherish her. Come on, ladies. So when you say, Mama, you're hot. You are amazing. Look at you. You're my girl. You are an amazing wife, an amazing mother. What, what, what's going on? You are nourishing the inside. You, you are valuing her. When she comes to you and says, what do you think of my outfit? What is she really desiring? Not for you to say, I don't like that outfit. You're going to get locked out. <laughs> what she's wanting you to say is, oh, you look amazing. If you don't like the outfit, at least find something you do like about the outfit and point that out. Because you're washing her with words. You're nourishing her. You're cherishing her. You're valuing her. Now, watch the, the second part of this as, as we go back that he might present her near to himself, a glorious, a magnificently extraordinary church, not having spot or stain or wrinkle alignment issues, 
or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, shame or reproach. So now, right in the middle of this marriage message, we are introduced with a coming back scripture. Christ is coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. I've been preaching the word for over 30 years, and sometimes we still mess up this scripture. Because we talk about, and we'll look at that, and we'll say, well, Christ is coming back for a perfect church. I can, I've got news for you. The church isn't perfect because it's filled with imperfect people. So the church, as far as we are concerned, will never be perfect. But here's what Scripture is telling us, that Christ will present or draw near to himself. If you would imagine that Kimberly is right here this morning, standing here, husbands, think about your wife standing there in front of you. What Jesus is saying is, whether there are flaws or blemishes or stains or wrinkles or not, Christ is going to cover the church with himself. And draw the church close to himself and he is going to sanctify and wash the church not because of the condition of the church but because of the position of his own sovereignty. So he's presenting to himself a church without spot or blemish not by works of righteousness that we have done but according to his mercy he has saved us. So he, despite all of our flaws and blemishes, covers us with his own righteousness and draws us to himself. Now, husband, think about your wife standing right there. You're not drawing her close to you with the flaws and the failures and the blemishes because she's imperfect just like you're imperfect. But what you do, the key to not getting locked out, is you cover her by cherishing her, by nourishing her. You cover her and you draw her near to yourself. You're not pointing out her blemishes. I'm telling you, men, don't ever talk about her nose, her ears, her feet, her weight. She may laugh on the outside, but on the inside, you're locked out. You don't experience the soul love that we're talking about here unless you cover her flaws and you draw her to yourself. Can I get a witness? Now, if we go on in the scripture, we, we find the, the key to this. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Therein lies the rub. Because Christ didn't just give the things, he gave himself. And men, husbands, your wife doesn't want you just to give the things. She loves the things. On Valentine's Day, I hope you gave her some things. 
flowers, chocolate-covered strawberries, something. She loves the things, but she doesn't just want the things. She wants you. She, and, and we have a propensity, men, just to say, hey, we love you. Can't you see? We gave you chocolate-covered strawberries, flowers. We gave you the credit cards, the checkbook. You bought a dress. You bought a car. You bought a house. We... But no. Sweet thing, babe, honey bun, whatever you call your wife, doesn't just want the things she wants you. She wants your thoughts your feelings, your emotions, your aspirations, your communication. Yes, she wants to talk to you. Your romance. She doesn't want just the things. She wants you. Girlfriend, Wonder Woman wants your guts, your insides, your dreams, your passions, your pursuits, your childhood, your manhood, your fingernails. <laughs> she wants you. And when that starts happening, men, you'll start getting a call. And on the other end of the line, you'll hear a familiar voice that says, I want you to come home early from work and not to stop and get groceries. You were looking fine this morning. And when that happens, you don't care about the speed limit. <laughs> running red lights, driving up onto the curb of your driveway. Because you've got the key to not getting locked out. So loving your wife as you love yourself. Ladies, are you ready for your portion? So we go back to Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's your key for not getting locked out with your husband. Respect your husband. Now, I know this is going to sound strange because, ladies, you may think that the top priority for your man is sex. But the most important priority for your man is respect and honor. That's why men, if you watch, you know, friendships, you watch men, they have this honor code thing. They're bumping chests, their secret handshake, their neutral space this is good this is my space don't cross that space that's why i like to sometimes just goof around with men i'm always hugging men because you never know what you're going to get <laughs> i even kiss them on the cheek sometimes then it really gets interesting <laughs> because it's all about honor and respect with men and so we read this idea of respect and for some reason Ladies, the scripture doesn't say, wife, love your husband. It doesn't say that because, ladies, you're good at that. You're good at loving. You're exceptional at loving. And yet, so many times in the New Testament, you read the word, 
Wives, respect your husband. Honor your husband. Reverence your husband. Over and over. Just like men must struggle sometimes with loving, whether you were disrespected in some way by your husband or some other circumstance, women, the challenge seems to be the honor code with men and the respect for men. And you may say, well, you know, what if my husband doesn't deserve my respect? And I understand that. And I don't really have the time to to delve into that theologically, but I, I will just say this. I didn't deserve what I received from my Savior. While I was yet a sinner, He died for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't reserve, deserve the honor, the grace, the mercy, the salvation that He expressed to me, and yet He gave it to me anyway. And ladies, I, I'll just help you real quickly to have a quick glimpse into a man's world. Are you ready for this? So just just a quick glimpse. Gentlemen, come on. I I need you during this time. (laughs) When watching television, hugging is always fine because your husband can still see the screen. (laughs) But kissing should be reserved for timeouts and commercials. Questions are always best asked during timeouts and commercials since you stand a better chance of getting a response. Just to let you know. If you yell at your husband from across the room, he's not ignoring you. In his mind, you have just blended in with all the stadium noise. Just saying. If you don't like the way your husband is driving, just a little glimpse, please abstain from using that inhaling alarm noise. (gasps) If your husband has an accident, it's probably because of that (gasps) inhaling alarm noise. Just to let you know, If you want your husband to wear something specific, tell him before he gets dressed. After all, he's getting dressed, not getting ready. Here's the last one. I like this. If you want your husband to put the toilet seat down when he is finished, then you should put the toilet seat up when you are finished. Come on, it's only fair. Just just talking about respect. Let's define it real quickly as we bring this to a close. Respect. This is is the dictionary definition. To esteem or value the worth of a person. 
It's a good definition. It's what the dictionary says. But listen to what the Bible says. Here's the biblical definition. Not just to esteem or value the worth of a person, but to do it more than yourself. So when it comes to husband, the husband loving his wife, he's loving his wife more than himself. On the opposite side in juxtaposition, the wife is respecting her husband more than she respects herself. I learned two things recently that uh, just kind of revolutionized my understanding of why respect is so important for, for men. We find it actually in verse 31, uh, that same chapter, Ephesians 5, just right before our text. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That sentence right there, that phrase right there for me was revolutionary. And here's why. Ladies, if you're wondering why you should respect your husband, first of all, respect him for leaving his father and mother. Because here's what's important for a man. A man from the time he is a child learns, continuously learns, that his role in life is to carry on the family name. That his responsibility is to start a new life with a new family. That when he leaves his father and mother, he is leaving that home to start a new home and create a new picture of what he left. So my surname is Ming, and I learned early on that my responsibility and role in life was to carry on my family legacy and my family posterity, that I had to, pardon the expression, just do my mom and dad proud, that my role in leaving father and mother was to continue to represent the family tree and the family name. So when I feel disrespected or dishonored in any way, it cuts not just to my present, but to my past. It, it cuts my identity because now I feel like as a man, as a husband, that I'm failing the role and the responsibility that I learned from the time I was a child. My own wife or my own kids don't honor me and respect me. It communicates verbally to me that I am a failure in what my role is as a man. That was revolutionary to me. It was like, wow, now I understand why I respond the way I do when I if I feel disrespected, it's because I feel like I'm not only letting myself down, but I'm letting my parents down. I'm letting my family down. And then the scripture goes on to say that we're not just to, be, uh, to leave our father and mother for this reason and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Here's the other reason why it's important to respect your husband, ladies. It's because you respect him for joining with you 
and starting a new life. And for men, you know, we, most men would say joining as one flesh is, is sex, but with God, it's more than that. It's the joining of two lives together. I mean, we can go back to Genesis 1.26 where God says, let us make man, and notice this, in our image, according to our likeness. In other words, God. The plurality of God. The multiplicity of God. God. Elohim. The tripartite being of God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Looks and says, I'm going to create man in our image. So now he creates man as a tripartite being, body, soul, and spirit that looks just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he puts Adam in the garden, and Adam starts naming the animals. There's a lion, there's a giraffe, there's a hippo, and he gets done without a, without a notepad or a, a PC or a Mac or megabytes or hard drives. Adam names all the animals, and when he gets done, he looks at the animal kingdom and he says, there, there's something wrong here. They're all paired up. God, I, I know you created me to be like you, but I'm all alone. I'm alone. A-L-O-N-E. A-L, all. O-N-E, one. I'm all one, God. I don't, you, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the animals have each other, but it's not good. I'm, I'm all one. I'm, I'm by myself. God says something intriguing and interesting at that moment. He looks at Adam, and he says, it's not good for man to be all one, alone. So we don't even know what the anatomy of Adam looks like, but, but God puts him under, and he pulls out of him a woman, a womb man. Adam wakes up and he's overjoyed and he says, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Now I'm not all one. I have someone to join my life with. I don't have to be by myself anymore. So from the very beginning, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so ladies, when, when you dishonor or disrespect your husband. It's like you, you put him right back in the garden alone. And he feels insignificant and lonely and all by himself, all alone, all one. Because your husband is lost without you. But when you respect him, you elevate the very purpose and reason for which he was created which is to share his life and be joined with you in relationship. You complete him. Love the Jerry Maguire movie. You complete me is what he said. And that's what happens with respect. Ladies, you complete your husband. 
you do something that nobody else can do, that God uniquely created and crafted you to do, to complete your husband. So, if we go back to our scripture, if you don't want to get locked out, listen to the key. See, see if it makes something click within you now. Nevertheless, let each one of you husbands in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wow. New picture, new idea. You know, we just came through the Olympics and what was interesting to me as I watched some of the events was the difference in the cheering at the beginning than at the end. The bell would sound, people would take off running or skiing or whatever they were doing and you would hear a smattering of cheers. But at the end of the race, people were screaming and yelling, go, 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 screaming. And when they crossed the finish line or beat the time, everybody was ecstatic. I think in our American culture, we've kind of missed it because we do all the cheering sometimes at the beginning but not so much at the end. We have the big ceremony, but you know what's important to me is the nearly 28 years that I've been running the race with my wife, the nearly 28 years that people are cheering, that my wife is cheering me on, that I'm cheering her on, my kids are cheering me on, cheering her on. The nearly 28 years, to me, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Because there's something powerful about the marriage relationship as God created it. And what I've really found is the closer I get to the Lord, the better my marriage gets. Because if that's not the case, here's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We look for our spouse to save us. We end up with what I like to call the Savior Syndrome. Can you save me? Singles, those of you looking for a spouse, a husband, a wife, can you save me? No, I, I know you can save me. You can save me over here. Give me sex. Give me intimacy. Give me, give me emotional fulfillment. Give me, I know you can save me. Not going to happen. That person won't save you because that person is not capable of saving you. There's only one Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when that gets right, then the marriage gets right. The relationship gets right. The family, hallelujah, gets right. <laughs>